and welcome to the penultimate episode of Season 1 of the LB Performance Podcast with me, as always, your host, Lawrence Bourne. On this week's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Coach Jason Kane, or Coach Jay Kane, as some of you might know him. He is the head coach and owner of Impact Strength and Performance Gym in Black Rock in South Dublin. On today's conversation, we talk about his background and to how he got to where he is now, how to start up a business in a gym as well, providing you a quick guide on how to do that. What has he found to be the most important factors in regards to customer retention and as well as bringing us the customer to the front door? Tips for engaging with those customers from a face-to-face point of view or even through the likes of our technology use these days. And lastly, finishing off with the listeners' questions. If you guys are looking to get in touch with him, his Instagram name is coach underscore Jay Kane. Jay has an abundance of experience in his time in the fitness industry, lasting well over 10 years now. His experience starts off with coaching boot camp classes, but he also has experience in coaching one-on-one sessions, group sessions, as well as now developing coaches to develop their own businesses or to even develop themselves as personal trainers or even gym instructors. So without further ado, here's the conversation with the man himself, and I'll chat to you guys on the other side. Jay, welcome to the LP Performance Podcast. How are you keeping? Good, good. How are you, my man? Good. Can't complain now, thankfully. How's uh, how's work with you now at the moment with with everything going on with the pandemic? You know, what I do is kind of, in terms of my work, is kind of uh, laid over kind of three areas. So I work with the Elite Fitness Performance Academy. And in terms of our work that we're doing there, that's for people who want to get into the fitness industry. Things are flying. We've never been as busy. So that's excellent. Um, I also kind of have a mentor and a coaching program for people that are working in the fitness industry. So that can be somewhat challenging for each of the guys. Each of them are up against their own unique challenges. They all run different types of business that are revolving around fitness. So some are doing amazing and some are suffering a little bit. And then ourselves, we have a gym and I kind of coach people online. So from the gym's point of view, the type of people that we serve and the type of people that we help are not the type of people who really want to jump around on Zoom. And the whole idea of online workouts is not really ideal for them. You know, they wanted to get to a gym, be in front of a coach, have a community of people that they're working with. So a lot of those guys are kind of are suffering a little bit. So all in all, I suppose it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but my attitude, you know, we've kind of gone up and down, have highs and lows, but just kind of have to deal with what's in front of us and kind of keep trucking. Um, and now that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I don't know how far that tunnel is away, but there's a light there, nevertheless. And having your own gym, and just give me a little bit of secrecy here now, do you do you find that's handy now having that open to yourself to go in and do your own workouts during this pandemic? Yeah, like the first, I mean, the first lockdown, um, I think our, our radius was 2K, so we were out of 2K, I was kind of locked away at home. But I kind of changed that around to listen, what am I going to do? And I just changed my goals. So I just brought home a kettlebell and made some goals kind of specific to that. Now, that being said, that kind of got a little bit old, you know, after a few weeks. And I think for a lot of people, the idea of going somewhere to train is a lot. That's kind of half the battle. It's like, all right, I put my jacket on, I put my shoes on and I'm going for a run or I'm going to a gym. And it's kind of like there's a little bit of a ritual involved in it. So for a lot of people, when you're just stuck at home, I can see that, you know, you might say to yourself, oh, I've got more time because I don't have to travel and I'm not stuck in traffic. But kind of humans want ritual and we need to attach our anchor on our behaviours very often to an environment. And without that environmental trigger or cue, 
I think very often we find it difficult to uh, get that end goal, you know. So I suppose what I'm saying there is, yes, I do have a benefit of having a gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, spot on. No, in short, perfect. Um, yeah. The uh, the one thing I found about working out at home, Jay, is just this time around last year, we obviously got the news of lockdowns and whatnot. Yeah. Can't believe it's nearly a year already. But I remember bringing, I remember the, the, the week of the lockdown, I remember buying a pair of dumbbells and I had a load of resistance bands upstairs. Jesus, it's like a jungle of resistance bands up in my bedroom. And I remember doing workouts for the first, I'd say two or three months and I was going really strong. And then like that again, after like the third month, you just get so sick of doing the same variety of exercises. There's only so much yeah. that you can do as well. So I suppose that if you, had to, if you were to talk to someone right now, actually, just to give a quick bit of advice, if they're looking to either get back into it or continue as they are, or any, any ideas of what you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of us, uh, it's it, it, there's a kind of it's a little shift in perspective. So, if you couldn't do what you were doing before, it's just really about being able to shift your perspective. For some people, you might be able to do that on your own and just say, "Hey, if I can take up something new, or if I can get a new outlet, a new avenue." For some people, it could be taking up running. For other people, it could be going out for a walk, even if that wasn't your usual activity. Um. It's that kind of shift in perspective. So whether you can do that yourself or whether you might need somebody to help you facilitate that, a coach, that's what I would kind of say to people. I know for me, um, I've kind of started running a little bit more than what I have been doing, which is still kind of somewhat tied into the goals that I have at the moment. But if I get out for a run and I'm kind of out in nature, especially if I'm trying to run a little slower, I'm trying to you know, focus on a heart rate training, like base building. It's a kind of different perspective in the type of training that I usually do. And I'm trying to use my training and I use exercise as a little bit of exploration. I'm not just in exercising for the sake of it. There's kind of a little bit more going on there, which I think um, is hugely beneficial for people, you know? Big time. I always find actually, I used to be big into running myself back in the day, but <clears throat> I find myself now going out for a few more runs again, like you, a bit more yeah. bit more than what I would have done beforehand. It was purely just gym weights, resistance training, a little bit of fitness yeah. in the gym. But now it's pure just going out for the nice long walks, hikes, jogs, whenever, whatever you can do. Yeah. And I find that I'm actually trying to chew myself in more mentally with it. Everyone's been speaking about the benefits of mental health uh, as a result of exercise. But yeah. it definitely when you're actually more present in the moment during exercise, whether that be your weight session or running, it does actually help a little bit more, I feel. Yeah, I think it comes down to your intent, like, you know, and the intention of what you're doing. So I think very often if I'm exercising, you know, a lot of people, if, if they're on the kind of, I want to lose weight buzz, it's kind of like, if it's not beast mode on, it's not worth it. And if we change that perspective and we moved away from having finite thinking, you know, so in a finite game, we're playing a game of football and I beat you or you beat me. But in an infinite game, nobody wins. We only learn. So we're just learning from, I suppose, our experiences. And for a lot of us, if we change our perspective to training that, hey, I'm not doing this weight session to get bigger and stronger now. I'm doing this weight session because I'm the type of person who respects my health and my fitness or I'm going for this jog, not to beat my 5K time, not to run faster than what I did a few weeks ago. All of a sudden now your intent and your intention totally shifts. Mm. And it's not really about the end game of running a race or that type of thing. It's much more inclusive. And I suppose it takes into bigger sphere of health and not just a fitness component. And when I say a fitness component, what I mean is your ability to do a task, bench press, deadlift, run 5K, 
row, whatever the case may be, it becomes a little bit more than just the exercise in of itself. What you said about beast mode actually is very interesting as well, because there's a lot of people who are starting to, to see more now. It's a common theme that there's beast mode that goes into different aspects of training in the sense of even if you're at home, you can do all out 100% training at home if you have the equipment for it or if you have the facilities or the particular session. But then it's also the beast mode in regards to recovery. And that's the one yeah. thing I think a lot of people have taken on board now is that they have the convenience in working from home. A lot of people don't see it that way. You have your, do your workout wherever you can do it. You have your shower afterwards, you have a bit of food and you don't even have to do the travel or the commute to the gym. But then there's, yeah. the, there's the mentality of, if I'm going to do 100% of my session, I'm going to do 100% of my recovery. Get the good food into you, get the good nutrients into you, get the good recovery, get the good sleep, all that type of stuff. And that's the one yeah. thing actually I feel a lot of people have gotten accustomed to recently. And if you haven't, definitely try and jump in that bandwagon. It's very, very interesting to, to think about. To go back to the very beginning, Jay, and this is something I'm actually interested in. I have no idea about your background and I would yeah. love to hear more about it. So to start to, what we're here to talk about today is business development. But for you personally, how did you get into the gym yourself? I suppose if I, if I was rolling back a good few years starting off, so how did I get involved in the kind of whole fitness space? Um, I was kind of overweight as a kid and then reached a point where I put the runners on and went out for a run, had a bit of a rocky moment and kind of things snowballed from there. I got into martial arts and boxing and kickboxing and I spent, you know, maybe from the age of 12 to 18 where I was fully embraced and involved in all that fitness and a part of for anybody who's in a martial arts club, as you start progressing up through the grades, you naturally start coaching other people. So if you're a green belt, you might help out a yellow belt. And then when you become a brown belt, you're helping out green belts. So there's a natural coaching progression there. And then when it came to, you know, finishing up school and all that type of stuff, I was like, you know, looking at the fitness scene and saying, oh, I love this. You know, I really am passionate about this. But hey, I don't want to be like working in a gym and cleaning the floors and all that type of stuff. Because that was my perception. I mean, I didn't even know any personal trainers, if I was being honest back then. It was kind of like gym instructors. I'm talking like 20 years ago, there or thereabouts. So I didn't have any comprehension what a personal trainer was or a coach. So I decided to go into um, engineering and I studied structural engineering in Bolton Street, roll on five years in a big recession here. And all of a sudden we weren't building anything. But at that stage, I was back in the game boxing myself and some guys asked me to help them out in terms of they wanted to do some boxing training, but not get punched in the face. So they wanted all the kind of softy kill bits of boxing and the fitness and the camaraderie but didn't want to punch each other. I was like, yeah, cool. I was already maybe the type of person that people would ask questions about nutrition and about training, but I didn't actually ever monetize it. And then I was like, hey, listen, maybe maybe there's something in this. And I went back and studied to become a trainer. And from there, I opened up the boot camp on a beach. So actually, before that, I had a job. I got a job when I finished up in a gym. So I'm talking back to 2011. It was actually a power plate gym, believe it or not. It only had power plates. Now, in many ways, you might be looking on what the hell. But in retrospect, looking back on it, we had like a class or a session every 30 minutes. So you had five minutes to change the people, get the people in the room, get the people out of the room, sign them up. So it was a kind of baptism of fire in the sense that you got all this variety of people. Forget about the machine for a minute, but you got all this variety of people and you've got to give them some sort of training outcome in 25 minutes, in a tiny little room, and you just so have to happen, use this machine as well. Moving on from there, that gym actually closed down and they relocated. And within the relocation, I was like, you know what? There's no progression here for me. This, this is not really what I want. So I decided to leave that job. And again, we're right in the middle of a recession and uh, start a boot camp with a friend of mine that I met in the boxing club. And again, everybody was saying to me, you're crazy, you've got a job. What the hell are you doing leaving it? You know, we're in a recession. 
you're going to start up this thing called the boot camp that nobody really knew about, maybe 2011 there, thereabouts. So we started up that and that went through a few evolutions and we progressed to having an indoor space and then that moved through a few evolutions to the point where we, we kind of are today, where we have a kind of individualized program design where the people are, you know, they're investing fairly heavily in themselves in terms of, you know, what you might compare to a fly fit or your average small gym that might be around the place. So that's the kind of short story to what happened over the course of 10 years. Brilliant. So then if you were to give advice to someone, to the, the average gym instructor or the average personal trainer who's looking to set up their own gym now at the moment, forget about COVID for now. Um, yeah. Although there's probably a lot of benefits of opening one up now and the fact that you probably have a lot more time to actually build up the yeah. facility and whatnot. However, if you were to start off from scratch, where what would be the starting point? So the very first thing I would say to anybody is don't do what I did. <laughs> All right. So don't just go, you know, wing it uh, as you go along. You, you kind of have two types of people that run gyms, especially small gyms. When I say I'm small, I'm talking... 40 to 140 people, you know, they either come from the kind of route I came from. I'm very passionate and I want to help people, but I have no idea about business. I studied engineering, nothing got to do with business. Even people that are in the the fitness game, a lot of them have a very poor mentality around money. They don't really feel that they deserve the money and they want to help everybody. And if I, if I take money off you, I'm not really helping you. And money's a bad thing. It's a little bit of an Irish mentality as well, because Anytime I've been to America, people don't have that mentality. So I'm talking when we go to a business trip in America, they just do not think that way. But definitely in Ireland, we do have a little bit of a hang up, at least in my experience in terms of trainers. If the job of your business is to generate an income so the business can keep rolling and the business can keep progressing and you can keep helping people, if the fundamental vehicle is it must be profitable, but you have an issue with money. You see how those two things are kind of in conflict with each other. So that's the first thing I would say. That's the first type of person. The second type of person comes in where they do have a background in business and exercise or fitness is just a tool for them to generate an income for a business. So fairly often, those guys do much better. And the ones that do the best hire somebody who has a good knowledge of training and good knowledge of nutrition and let them do that side of the business and they run the businessy side of things, if that makes sense. Mm. So to kind of bring this back together, if I was somebody starting out, depending on which type of person I was, I would seek guidance off of somebody. So I'd either go and work for somebody or get mentored in some way, shape or form and kind of go into that as like you're a sponge and absorb as much information as you can before you go out and open up your own business. Or if money was permitting, I would hire a coach with a driven track record who's already helped people do it and you know get down with them straight away because most trainers don't want to invest in themselves all right so you got guys they open up a gym you know they've invested maybe anything from 30 to a hundred thousand euros in a gym and you say many clients have you got zero uh, how do you plan on getting the clients i don't know i'm just going to open up and put a facebook post out it's like oh, i don't know if that's a great idea and they might go and they buy a concept to row or 1200 euros however much they are but they wouldn't pay a coach, you know, 500 euros to help them with a business plan, which is ultimately going to make them a lot more money down the other end. So where they're investing their money is totally out of whack, if that makes sense. And really the mistake that we make, and I've made it so many times, is we're opening up a gym based on uh, what we think is cool, thinking about ourselves. So it's all about me, me, me. I like this. I like big dumbbells. And we buy all these things. And it's like, we don't think about the people that we're going to serve. And chances are, for the majority of trainers, you're not going to train people like you. Mm. 
if the people were like you, well, they wouldn't need a coach or want a coach. <laughs> That's a fair point. All right. Yeah. Now, they might need one, but they probably wouldn't want one. So if you're like 22 years old and you're this big, strong guy who's been playing sports his whole life and, you know, he's as fit as a fiddle, chances are another dude who's the same as you is not going to pay you money to train him. And that's something that we have to think about. So to lead on from that, I kind of have this thing that I would use with people when I'm helping them called the perfect business formula. So it kind of has three components. So the first one is vision. And what I would say to people is actually sit down and think about what is your vision of the way fitness should be done. So I used to have very hard, stringent ways that I thought that things should be done, whether it came to nutrition and exercise, weights are good. Running is bad, or you know, running is great, weights are bad. And we have all these polarizing views. And now, as I progress, I'm a bit more agnostic towards it all. It's like, listen, whatever's going to work for the individual, rock and roll. That being said, when you open up a business, you have to put out an offering that's like, this is what I believe. This is the package. This is the best way I think. So for me, we kind of have three elements. It's like, we've got training, we've got nutrition, and we've got mindset. They're the three components that we kind of help people with. And when it comes to the mindset bit, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. When I say mindset, it's helping people make better choices or helping people, you know, align what they want, their goals and their priorities in life. And that doesn't require any big degrees or anything like that. It just requires some conversations and some basic, some basic cop on. So when it comes to your vision, what's your vision of fitness? Do you believe that people should lift weights? Should they run? Should they do a combination? Should they stretch? Because you've got to put together this package that people look at and go, I want that thing. And that's why CrossFit has done so well everywhere it's gone in the world. So it's always expanded and then it's contracted a little bit for various reasons. But everybody knows it's like, hey, we're going to wear booty shorts. We wear Reebok. Uh, we're going to do wads. What is a wad? I don't know, but we're going to do them. You don't need to know what you're doing. You just have to have a language or a vision around it. So that's that bit. The next thing to think about is who is your ideal client? In my experience, what I would say to people is your ideal client is probably the type of person who you actually really enjoy training. So if you've trained a few people and you go, do you know what? That guy, Dave, I love training him. Well, he might be your ideal client, all right? So you want to then look for more Daves. What's what, what's the similarity here? It won't caveat. Dave has to be able to pay you whatever you feel that you're worth. Because something that sometimes we can lose sight of, in order for someone to have a personal trainer, you know, to the average person, you know, in the past, that was like a kind of a luxury where fitness has become a little bit of a commodity. You know, you can go onto YouTube and Instagram and get all these workouts for free. That doesn't mean that they're any use. Most people won't do anything with them. All of the information in the world is increasing exponentially. And at the same at the same rate in the Western world, and anyway, people are getting sicker. They're more overweight than they ever were before. So information is not really or never has been the problem. So you need to think, who is my ideal client? And have they got the I suppose, the resources to pay you whatever you need to be paid within your business model. And then the last bit, and this is something that a lot of people don't think about, is what is your unique ability? So going back to the first kind of where we started with this, for some people, their unique ability could be the business aspect. It's like you do not want to be on the gym floor then if like you're not a good people person. It's like you stay in the office and, you know, get people to the front door and then give them a smiley person to bring them into the gym. Or the other way, it's like a lot of people, you know, we'll help them and they like, you say, hey, what's your story? I had an office job and I hated it. So I became a trainer and for the first six months or the first six years. I loved it. And then I opened up a gym. And then what happened? Well, I was stuck in the office ringing people to try and get them to come to the gym. It's like, 
all right, so that doesn't really work, does it? So in that scenario, it's like you stay in the gym. If that's your unique ability, if that's where you are best suited, and then get somebody else to help you do the stuff that you're either not good at or you don't want to do. Mm. So that's the kind of three things, perfect business formula, vision, ideal client, unique ability. Brilliant. Yeah, that's fantastic. You were mentioning the uh, the, the, cost, the customer, obviously coming into the yeah. front door and whatnot. How would you go about bringing them to the front door to start off with and how to retain them afterwards? There's kind of two ways that we can go about this. One is referrals. Somebody goes out and says to you, whoa, you have got to go to this gym. Or, you know, you help somebody in that first period of time they're kind of glowing it's like hey i found this new thing it's great or i've lost loads of weight and somebody sees it and goes whoa what the hell happened hey i was down this new gym so kind of referrals and how do you get referrals do great work how do you do great work be a great coach or be a great trainer you know and in order to do that you need to study your craft and your craft is obviously training science all that type of stuff but it's also the human side and the artistic side of, of what we do in, in coaching people so that's one thing. The other way is obviously you've got to have some sort of presence in social media in your local area. And in order to get people to the front door of your gym, you've got to have some sort of offering that stands out in some way, shape or form. And you've got to basically dangle this offering out in front of as many people as possible. And then through a process of pre-qualification, a true process of application, you've got to whittle those people down to the to your ideal client. And one thing that I would be very careful of, um, and this is a mistake that I have made over the years, there's a cost to the money you make, okay? And there's this idea of slow money as, a far, as opposed to long money. So I'm talking purely, and I don't mean this in the way that, a client equals, you know, money. We Why I do what I do is I want to help people, but at the same time, I've got to get paid. And when we're talking about a business, the business has to generate an income. So anytime I'm using money and a person interlinked like that, do understand, I, I, you know, I do mean that they're a person and they're important, but at the same time, you know, they're paying a certain amount into the business. Pretty often we can make a mistake of, within our business, the, the best way to have it would be like a Netflix model. All right. So it's like you pay Netflix every single month and they let you watch their shows. You don't even think about it. The Netflix payment just comes out and they've got a receivable base. If they've got 10 people paying them $10 a month, their business is going to make $100 every single month. They can actually now grow that, expand it. They can do things with that because they've got this receivable base. A lot of trainers work traditionally off, uh, you know, buy five sessions and then somebody can use one this week and one in six weeks and one in 10 weeks and it's all over the place. Or they might run, you know, come and do six weeks with me and then come and do another six weeks and then come and do another six weeks. So the person has to then keep taking their wallet out and paying you. And every time somebody has to do that, they always say to themselves, hmm, is this really worth it? And even if it is, you have to try and reconvince them. And very often we, we understand this pleasure pain idea. It's like, you know, in order for someone to part with their money that they've had to work really hard for, they have to either want this really pleasurable thing or they've got to be in a bit of pain. So to try and push somebody into that state every few weeks or every few months doesn't really make any sense. It'd be like this. If you had to take your credit card out and pay Netflix, even if it was only 10 cents every time you watch the show, you probably wouldn't pay them. Mm. But the fact that you're in this receivable base and you're getting all the benefits makes it a lot easier so when we're talking about this long money fast money we need to think about if i get someone into my gym and i make them a promise that, hey you're gonna lose 10 pounds in 28 days 
the person then you've kind of pre-programmed them for, hey, and we want to go to the gym for 28 days. And the, the trainer, the program is going to fix me. Then I'm going to be fixed and then I'll go back to normal. The person's lifestyle and behavior, their normal is what got them in trouble in the first place. And when I say trouble, I meant unfit, unhappy, unhealthy, overweight, whatever, whatever their problem was when they were coming to you. Although, you know, it's really appetizing to get in. Hey, I'm looking for 10 people who want to do, you know, lose 10 pounds in the next 28 days. And it's 97 euro or 197 euro. I was like, yeah, I want to do that. The majority of those people are going to leave you. And then they're going to put weight back on and then they're going to come back in. They're going to like buy some of the other trainers 28 day or six week or shake diet. So in some ways, you know, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. And whose fault is it? Is it the client's fault for wanting fast results? Is it our fault for selling them fast results? There's no point to anybody blaming anybody. It's just a bit of a cycle that the fitness industry has found it in, found itself in because a lot of marketers, I would suggest, and, you know, people who are pushing these type of products um, kind of find themselves in. And as a young trainer and, you know, as somebody who has a gym and you've got bills to pay, you can find yourself sliding into that six-week transformation, 28-day transformation, 12-week transformation. And in my experience doing the whole lot of it, it's not the best way to help people and it's not the best way to get long-term sustainable results. And when you actually speak to somebody and you sit down and you say, what do you want? Most people don't want six-pack abs and you know big muscles. They want to feel a bit better. They want mm. to fit into their clothes. They want to have more energy. They want to feel better about themselves when they look in the mirror. And they want to then maintain and hold on to that feeling forever. Not for six weeks, not for 12 weeks. So using fitness as a fix, we can't. Fitness, the gym, a trainer can never fix the shitty lifestyle. You know, a 45-year-old man who comes to me, I can't fix him in 12 weeks. I can't fix him at all. You know, he has to fix himself, but it can't be done in 12 weeks. We need a longer period of time. There's a lot you know, of education you, that goes in with that as well. Yeah, if it took you 20 or 30 years to get out of shape, it's going to take <laughs> a considerable amount of time to get you back in shape, whatever yeah. whatever in shape, out of shape means for the individual. That is probably one of the biggest problems facing the fitness industry. And us as trainers and coaches and the clients on the other end, we're both equally at fault, I would suggest, in the problem that we face. That's the one thing I actually, I mentioned to a lot of clients as well that I previously worked with and who I continue to work with is that looking for the, looking for the good coach is really tough in this day and age. It's a minefield out there as far as coaches are concerned. Anyone could just go off and do a few weeks of a course and become a personal trainer, essentially overnight. And then to go out and then to trust someone who may be quite young in their career as such. Yeah. It's a great start for the person trainer because obviously they have to learn, they have to get the experience, they have to really get themselves into the industry. Somehow everyone starts somewhere. Yeah. But then it's also the, the, the clients are also, as you said, in that in that pleasure pain scenario where they're thinking, do I really want to pay money here that I've worked really hard for? So you bring up a really, really interesting couple of points there. The one thing I'm really intrigued to hear about as well, actually, is the way you communicate with customers. Now, in this current moment in time with COVID, we don't see each other face to face anymore. And even if we do, it's within your five kilometers, a two meter of distance. Yeah. So what's what's your way of, of uh, communicating with your clients and even potential clients in this, in this moment in time? In my experience, the best way to communicate with anybody is being in front of them. If you can do that in person, that is the best way ever. Because we know that in order for somebody to buy and when I say boy, boy could mean transfer of money. Or boy could mean just spending more time with you, watching you, like listening to a podcast. They've bought into you. They've bought into the speaker on the other end. 
and they are giving away their most precious resource time mm. for whatever it is, a half an hour, 45 minutes an hour. So that's what we mean when we say buy in, but you've got to have no like and trust. Now, if I'm standing in front of you face to face, I can build no like and trust in seconds. If it's online, so the further I am away, proximity was probably the longer it's going to take or the more touch points we're going to have to build that no like and trust. But I think one of the most critical things within that is probably for you to actually have a message that you, you know, have something that you stand up for and something that you stand against. So it's like, hey, this is what I believe in. I don't believe in that stuff over there. And if you believe in me, hey, come this way. It's kind of like a bit of a leader of a tribe. Now, I mean, I don't want to take that to the absolute extremes, but <laughs> yeah, you know, you know where that goes. But that is kind of in a nutshell how you want to do it. And ultimately, you, you want to be able to communicate to people about their problems. And if you can communicate to them about their problems better they, than they can articulate it, they're going to go, yes, that's it. So if I'm talking to somebody and they're nodding, it's like, Jesus, how does he know that? You know, it's nearly like you're reading their mind. Then they're like, yeah, he he kind of gets me. Mm. And after that, then it's, you know, you're kind of, if you can articulate what the problem they might be set, facing is, the next stage you might be able to show them what, well, what's the possibility if we're able to make some changes here? And all of a sudden, if somebody's getting excited, it's like, yeah, you understand where I am. You have a bit of an idea of where I want to go or a really clear idea of where I want to go. Then we start to create a path. And a path could be we're going to do A, B, and C, training, nutrition, and mindset. Hey, you've trained, but the problem is you didn't have nutrition. Hey, you trained and you had nutrition, but the problem is you didn't have coaching, coaching individual to you. You're right. So it's that problem, possibility, path, and then offer them out a solution. It's like, hey, here's a solution. And which one do you want to go for? Is it A? Is it B? A could be really slow and really hard and do it on your own, and B could be faster and easier or you know less friction if i hired you to coach me i'm assuming i'd get my results with less friction or you know in an easier way and when i say easier i still have to do the work but hopefully you'll be able to give me a clearer pattern there was less confusion around what was going wrong and every time i shifted off the straight line from where i am to where i want to get to you'll just bump me back on. Let's kind of see that being the job of the coach. That's kind of communication as a, you know, as a maybe a bit of an overview. And then how do we actually do it? Well, I mean, ideally, I think Zoom and, you know, digital meetings in one way have become excellent because, you know, it is better than maybe being on a phone call with somebody or just send a text message because you can see people's faces and, especially if the cameras are on and you can get a little bit more involved with it. So that is something which I think is of uh, huge value in the last while where a lot of trainers and a lot of people in general probably just weren't using video calling to the, to the full extent. Ideally, that's what, that's what it's going to be. I mean, any form of communication is going to be important. And one thing I would say on that, or one caveat, if you do actually want to impress people and you would probably want to do something which is out of the norm. So, I mean, if I sent you a handwritten letter which doesn't even have to be a letter, could be a postcard, with something which was important to you, like, hey, you know, it's your daughter's birthday, hope you've had a great day, or you hope you had cake on the weekend, or it's your birthday, or whatever the case may be. That's actually, I would say, probably more important to people. And again, going back to that connection we spoke about earlier, mm. why do people really go to a gym? Is it to lift the weights, you know, to lift stuff up and down that doesn't need to be lifted? Or is it to be a part of some sort of tribe or community? You mm. know, that could be I'm a powerlifter, I'm a bodybuilder, 
or I'm a, a cardio bunny, I'm a yoga person, whatever it is, but we identify as I'm the person who does this and then we need that place to go to do it in, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I think connection connection with the client and the customer is extremely key. Even in my own experience of working with uh, particular customers over the years, you know as a coach who even you can connect with yeah. before the customer does, if that makes sense yeah. as well. And you have an idea about where they obviously want to go. And like like you said, you're kind of tapping into their own mentality because one, you could have been there yourself. One, you've researched it, you know what they want as well and how to get there. But I think in this day and age as well, a lot of people really just want that simplicity. And uh, yeah. a lot of people also want that quick fix, but it's given them the education to, sh- to actually tell them and to show them quick fixes aren't the solution. Any of these kind of fad diets or whatever they are, if they work for you, they work for you. Used to say otherwise. However, simple education, showing them the long-term results over the short-term results, and then keeping them locked in and keeping the buy-in, as you said, is very, very key with that. So I would agree with you 100%. Yeah, and but that also ties back into kind of what we were saying earlier about is, you know, standing for something and standing against something. So listen, you know, quick fixes don't work. If you want quick results, if you want something which is cheap and cheerful, I'm not the guy for you. Exactly. I'm not the girl for you. What I work with is people who want, and then you can list out what they want. So straight away, you're polarizing people. And if people go, actually, I wanted that other thing, it's like, hey, go over there. You could think about the gym in a very broad spectrum. We have one end of the gym spectrum. It's like, hey, I'm renting your equipment. So Mr. Flyfit owns all these dumbbells, and I'm going in to rent them off for a period of time. All right. And then I leave. That's it. That's all I'm getting there. Mm. Now, I know you can do classes, but I'm talking about the traditional model of gyms. Didn't really have classes like that. Mm. So these were things that were bolted on as gyms developed. The next the next level on that continuum is kind of like, hey, I'm going somewhere and, you know, somebody's going to like push me and motivate me. And, you know, I'm going for the atmosphere and the buzz of the place. So think like a spin class. It's like everything's hopping and disco lights are going in the whole shebang. Like you're doing a big boot camp. You're going for the energy in the room. And then you move it up to, I would say, more the personal training and the coaching end of things. You're going probably more for the connection with the other human being, that that person understands you and they can tweak and adapt and modify your program nutrition, training, mindset, based on your needs on a macro scale and on a micro scale. Like so day to day, week to week, and then over the course of a longer period of time. And generally, that's why there's a big differentiator in pricing between, you know, maybe a fly fit and a personal trainer. At least that's what it should be in my experience. So it's having an understanding, and if you're listening to this new are thinking about, um, you know, what works for you. It's really pick one of those things. What What is actually important to you? What do you value? Do you value just going in and doing your own thing and you know how to do it? Excellent, go there. Do you value the energy of a room? And are you actually going to the gym or going to a class because you really want to connect with people? I would suggest that you're not really going to get that from a personal trainer. And if you are getting that from a personal trainer, you've probably, in my experience in any way, you've let things slide from a professional on the coach to, Hey, we're mates. Mm. And as soon as you get friend zoned, it's like when you were dating or trying to date when you were younger, <laughs> you got friend zoned. It's like, Hey, nothing good's happening there. <laughs> so I think as a coach or as a trainer, 
you shouldn't friend zone people and they shouldn't friend zone you. It's time to move on if that happens, you know? I want to flip it back around to the coach's aspect or the coach's point of view, sorry. You spoke about the point earlier about coaches valuing themselves and to get the customer to pay them that certain fee. Is there like a challenging point or is there a sticking point with them that you find that you have to try and change their mindset that you actually are worth this much money? And how do you go about doing that? It's a funny thing because when we talk about value, so price is one thing. So price is what somebody pays yeah. for a product or a service. Everybody understands that. But value is something totally different. It's what you extract from the product or the service. So I think every coach or every personal trainer has to understand their scope of practice. Where we run into problems is, you know, some guy who's 21 and he thinks he's like a mindset coach and you know, somebody's talking to him about suicide and it's like, whoa, 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 you are way outside your scope of practice. Or you've got a client and they're talking to you about hormone deficiencies or nutritional deficiencies. Like if I'm a personal trainer, whoa, outside of my scope of practice. Um, I've got somebody with a ruptured disc in their back. Chances are outside my scope of practice. So I think we have to understand, you know, where, where a scope of practice is and you know, when to refer out. So that's one scenario. And I think that's where a lot of trainers will get a bad rap because mm. they don't understand the scope of practice mm. and they start trying to venture outside. There becomes all this blurring between different professions, you know, from a medical profession all the way down through the spectrum. And obviously when we're talking about health and medical health, we're at the way, way, way bottom of that totem pole. Okay. You make a very um, good example, actually. And this is a, this is probably a very extreme example in itself, but like, if you're going to go get your teeth checked out, you're not going to go to a gynecologist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so as a coach, you want to be able to stand your ground and say, my, um, my knowledge only goes so far, or I'm not experienced enough with this. Um, I would recommend that you go somewhere else. And I suppose you as a coach, that's where the contacts come into it as well. Yeah. And then there's one other bit to take into that when we talk about value. So I'm going to give two extreme examples here. We've got somebody who works in Duns on the checkout. I don't know how much they make, but let's say they're making 25 to 30,000 euros a year. And then you've got a CEO in Duns, okay? And maybe they're earning tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands a year or any CEO in any big company. So the, the two people could hire out a trainer and they both want to feel better. So they go to a trainer and the trainer helps them feel better. So if we could measure feelings on a scale from one to 10, they walked in the door, they were feeling five. And after 12 weeks, they're feeling eight, both of them. Each of those people's ability to pay is going to be totally different. And the value they place in that, the monetary value they place on that feeling is totally different. But the trainer wouldn't necessarily have to know anything different or have to be, have any mad letters after his name or have to do any extra courses to, to suit those two people. Mm. So that's another thing where we've just got to be careful about, you know, value is kind of what somebody, what somebody gets out of it, but we also have to extract that from expertise. Yeah. So that's kind of how I'd look at that situation. What are your pet hates as a coach? In what context would you say? Just generally? Or yeah. I want to go generally on this one. Yeah think that as I have grown and developed myself, both as a coach and as a business owner and as, uh, I suppose, as a man, I know that's a little bit deep, but I've become to understand that what I'm trying to do and what I'm seeking to do is kind of drop my own ego a lot more mm -hmm. and realize that it's not really about me, you know, and if I'm serving these people, I need to make it all about them. 
And when I say it's not about me, that comes back to even exercise. I would in, in the past, you know, believe that, hey, the way I eat is the right way to eat. Because the people who I respect and follow, that's what they've told me to do. And, you know, it works for me. I'll give you an example. If somebody was banging on about being a vegan and how we're going to save the world and it's the best diet for human beings, that would really roll me up. Or if somebody was saying, you know, hey, resistance training is bad for you. Or someone saying, you know, running is bad for you. It's like, oh, those kind of dogmatic approaches, I think, is what really now as I've grown and developed a little bit any dogmatic approach and I used to be guilty of it just as much as other people it's something that I just don't think is benefiting anybody because ultimately what we all have to realize is you know if you work in the fitness industry I don't know the exact statistics but I'm going to just throw some out there and anyway it's probably 15 to 20 percent of the population have a gym membership or use a trainer of some description well let's just say a gym membership even if a quarter of adults had a gym membership maybe you know five percent of that quarter is actually using a personal trainer or a coach. Mm. So it's a tiny proportion of the total population is actually using a, a gym or a trainer. And half of that is our fault because the perception that we put out there. It's like, hey, I'm going to have a tight T-shirt, shaved head or long hair that's all slicked back, you know, <laughs> going to train with me top off, tattoos. Not that there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but is that really, you know, if you're a man who's 45, and has never been in a gym, is not feeling great about himself, is that the atmosphere where he's going to go in with all these testosterone pumping dudes going, oh, this is, this is where I want to go? Chances are he's not. Mm. So that's an opportunity that I think we're all missing out on. I'm just using that kind of ego, male-driven thing that I would have somewhat of a familiarity with. You could also go to the other end where it's like, hey, yoga, is that really you know open to everybody? You know, if you were overweight woman, would people welcome you open arms into a yoga studio? And from my experience talking to people, like very often know that, that they don't fit the mold. So basically it's like we create the mold and then people who fit into it, we allow in and people who don't, it's like, oh, so we could kind of open the doors and be a bit more compassionate, a bit more empathetic to a broader spectrum of people. I think we'd be doing much better for everybody. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, is there anything that you would have done differently? Had you started all this again? I would have tried to seek out help from a business perspective much quicker. And then when I was work, when I was looking at any personal development, I would have looked um, or retrospectively thinking I should have looked more inward as opposed to outward because I'd be a great one for like always looking outwards. Right? What's the solution? What's the new thing? What's the thing that's coming? If I only had this app, if I only had this program, if I only had this diet, if I only went and done this other certification, you know, so, and it was all external, external, external. And really, you know, the, the, the game of coaching is really about yourself. If you can't understand yourself, if you can't be compassionate for yourself and empathetic towards yourself, for your strengths and your weaknesses, how can you then express those qualities with anybody else? If we are being honest, a huge proportion of the fitness industry is uh, they don't really like themselves. That's why they spend all their time running, running away from what? Lifting. You know, why do you want to be the strongest? What's wrong with your ego as it is? Why do you want to be the biggest? And I know a lot of people might listen and go, well, you know, what the hell is he saying? But if we actually sat down and had a conversation with it, or martial arts, like why do you want to be able to beat people up? A lot of it is back to the self and, you know, some sort of protection mechanism. And if we're able to deal with that, understand that, I just actually like exercising. I don't have to be the biggest or the strongest or run the furthest. 
I'm enjoying doing this, going back to the experience that we spoke about earlier. Yeah. I think we'd be in a much better position. So to finish off each episode, Jay, I always ask the listeners uh, on my on my Instagram page every week to provide questions for the guest. So yep. this week I have questions from three people, one in actually including me. The first man is called David Sheridan. What your management software do you use between you and your customers? We use MindBody. What I would say is though, when a coach or a trainer is thinking about any software, don't overthink it. You think about on the scale of it, pick the one which is the most cost effective for you and just get stuck into it. Because you get caught in this minefield. Is this one better than this one? Is this one better than this one? Is this one better than this one? And at the end of the day, they all have pros and cons. So whichever one is the most cost effective for you, pick it, get stuck in. And listen, it's not like a marriage. I mean, you can change it later on. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case the wife is listening. Oh, yeah. No, no. I have my headphones on for a reason. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, the next question is actually from a gentleman who wants to stay anonymous, but his question sure. to you is, what does your typical week look like as a business owner of a gym? Well, I suppose it's been very different now than what it would have been. Traditionally, what would have happened is we would have had splits between our shifts. I shouldn't do this, but I did do this. I would work in the three areas of the business, marketing, sales fulfillment so we would have some coaching and you'd either be on an am shift or a pm shift so if you're in your am shift you know you might go in coach in the morning starting at half six and coach up to maybe half ten and then you would be kind of getting into you know following up and catching up with any of the nutrition or coaching bits external to the actually delivering the coaching that you would have had to do with clients and then it was usually moving into other market and our sales you know, for the rest of the day, bit of training myself and then out of there. So that would have been what a typical day might have looked like. And then that kind of process was repeated. If you're in the afternoon, maybe you come in a bit later. I'm not really proud of this, but in the past, I probably would have went into the gym at, you know, whatever, six o'clock and left at nine o'clock and done that for years. I don't recommend anybody do that. It's not good for you Mm. or your clients or your family. But that is something that I don't, and you kind of wore, I work all these long hours as a bit of a badge of honor, which retrospectively looking back, it was a little silly. Question for me now, actually I have two for you and following okay. on from what you said there. The first one is, how is your sleep as far as half 6 a.m. starts are concerned? In the past, it would have been brutal, but where I found like, it's probably even getting a bit late now. Usually I would be kind of going to bed, like for anybody, obviously you're going to be listening to this back, but it's about half nine now at night. This would be usually around my bedtime. And if, you know, if I can get into bed early enough, getting up early then isn't isn't really an issue. It's more a case of when, like, the kids were younger and, you know, they're kind of up late and you're all over the place and it's like you're trying to drag yourself out of bed, thinking back, you're probably like a zombie. Yeah. But um, it's just really about structure and routine and get, having a bit of discipline around that, you know? Brilliant. Top three books to read as a coach. Which ones would you recommend? Is there any particular genre or any particular thing you want to you want to talk about? About mindset specifically. Um, about mindset. I would have had a great list for you now if you told me this uh, beforehand. It's one of these things where you go, I'll, oh, yeah. what is it? I usually catch uh, one question. I try and catch one of my guests off with. So, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, then I'd say Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes. Yeah. And then moving on from that, I would say Atomic Habits. But the reason why I choose that book is because it'll open up 
some new possibilities and some new avenues. And the best books are the ones that lead you onto other books. Yes. And then you start to get a little bit more holistic um, understanding of, of what you're doing. And I'm going to give you one little tip on the end, all right, just because I'm sound like that. <laughs> For me, I approach things. I don't know where I stole this from. I don't know who told me it because I never make up stuff myself, all right? I always write <laughs> taking things from other people. But I use a kind of process, 531. Okay. So when I'm trying to learn a particular uh, about a particular topic, so let's say we could say, "Hey, I'm trying to learn some more about coaching people in a particular in a particular aspect." Well, try and find either five, you know, long articles or podcasts or blogs on that particular subject. Okay. And then if you can narrow that down to like three books on that subject, and then if you could do like a live training, it could be virtual or in person on that subject. By the time you get to the end of that process, right, you're not necessarily an expert, but you're definitely well on the way to knowing enough information to, to have an impact. And it goes back to that 80-20. You know, for mm-hmm. most things, 20% of the information is going to give you 80% of the results. And the last little bit, you know, if you keep studying something long enough, you end up knowing everything about nothing. <laughs> Love that analogy. <laughs> Never thought about it that way. Jay, thanks so much. Uh, if anyone wanted to get into contact with you, how would they do that? Instagram is probably the easiest thing for a lot of people at the moment. So it's just uh, coach underscore Jay Kane. Brilliant. And when everything opens back up, where can people find you address wise? Where is your gym? So our gym is in Black Rock in South Dublin. So whether somebody wants to come train with us live or virtually, you know, in terms of online coaching, give us a message there, hit me up. We can move on from there. Deadly. Jay, I better let you go to bed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for hopping on today and all the information you gave was brilliant and I'll definitely have you on again soon, but thanks again for your time. Good stuff, my man. I love having a good chit-chat. And that's episode nine done and dusted, folks. Thanks so much for coming this far, if you have. Thanks again to Jay for hopping on and providing that knowledge to all to do with opening up a gym. I hope anyone that's interested in opening up a gym, you found that information quite useful. Obviously, we've only scratched the surface as far as business startup and business development is concerned. There's a whole lot more that we could have covered. If you guys have any further questions for him, you can message the man himself using his Instagram profile that we mentioned a couple of times throughout the episode. You'll also find on my Instagram page on LB Performance. If you go into my following section, you'll see all of my previous guests on there. And on that note, I'll be bringing on one of my previous guests onto next week's episode, the last one of the season. I'm going to be speaking to Patrick Smith about how to start up a podcast. We're going to be giving our own experiences in relation to how to start up your very own podcast, if indeed you are thinking about it. If you have any questions along the way that you want to ask us before next week's episode, do fire them into my Instagram DMs or indeed email me using the contact details Ari will provide you next. Thanks again for listening and chat to you guys next week. If you want to talk to my daddy, go and eat. Email and Instagram. His Instagram is lbbeformance and his email is coach at lbbeformance.ie. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.